Thank you very much. I was going to call you Major, but Chief Stacy Graves for Thank coming you. into the Northeast News and talking with us here. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And you have the distinction. I don't know if you know this yet, but I, I shared it with uh, Sergeant McKenna. Jake. <laughs> I shared it with Jake. Uh, did a little research right after you were sworn in, and you have the distinction of being uh, of sharing with New York City, the only other major city in the United States to have a female chief of police and a female fire chief. I didn't know that. There you go. Well, thank you very Welcome much. Welcome to the Northeast. Welcome States. to the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, twenty-five years on, started as a record clerk. Now you're chief of police. You're a week in, so. What does it look like for you? Are you Rick Smith always used to say, I'm still drinking from a fire hose. I don't think that ever stops in this job, to be honest. <laughs> um, this first week has been a whirlwind. In fact, I think I'm on week two, but I think I'm on day six. I did go down and visit my mom in in Florida, so I wanted to make sure I took some time with her before I really got, got it going. But we've done a lot of things. We've talked to a lot of media. We've been out in the community. Um I've messaged our internal members just once, but we're working on something uh, tomorrow to make sure that some of the messaging that is straight for me is going straight to our members. In terms of the officers in the field? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I think some of that messaging is some of the things that you've already heard, but it's going to be internally. What we're going to do as a department, how we're going to treat each other, we're going to take care of each other, and I don't mean that in a bad way because when somebody says, when police say we're going to take care of each other, people try to get, like, the wrong idea about that, and that's exactly, absolutely not what I mean. Right. Um, but just making sure that not only do are we valuing people outside the organization and our relationship with the community, but also valuing our own members with respect and making sure that we all feel supported by each other and that everyone is open to all the opportunities that KCPD has to offer, like promotions, transfers, um, uh, chances for other opportunities. But in addition to that, we're going to talk about where we're going to go as a police department. And part of that is is trying to break down this adversarial relationship that the community has with police or that the police has with the community. Okay. Right. And I can talk about action items of what we're going to do about that, but um, that is so important. And I can tell you that the men and women of the Kansas City, Missouri police department absolutely want to have a relationship with the community. They want to feel valued. They want to feel trusted and they want to have that, that relationship with people that we come in contact with every day. That's the only way we're going to make Kansas city safer is if we have that relationship and, and, and talk to each other. And how do you, that's one of my questions down the page, and I'm, you know, if we can jump around a little bit, but let's talk about that morale and retaining, retaining officers. And I know when, uh, when Rick was on board, I had a conversation with former Chief Corwin about it and talking about, you know, the, just the loss of sworn officers over that period of time. Has, has the hole in the boat been plugged and what do you do to counter that and build that morale so the officers feel appreciated internally as well as outside in the community. Right. I think when you talk about morale, that's sometimes that's a fragile thing, right? And sometimes it's it's a combination of different situations, events. You can you can just put all kinds of different uh, things on that of of what creates a, a positive or a negative morale. Obviously, you know coming 
off the heels of, you know, the civil unrest in 2020, you can talk about COVID too, um, and how that has created such a divide between the police and the community. And maybe in some instances, rightfully so. Um, but I can tell you that the men and women of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department are, are dedicated. They have hearts to serve. And we just need to let our community know about that. We just need to, to start by listening, having these conversations, um, taking some of those lessons that we've learned in the past couple of years. Some of them are painful, you know, right? Uh, from the community and from us. Mm-hmm. And just take that first step forward to just start the conversation, to just be open to it and, and to start by listening. Talking about relationships with the community back, and here we go. Everybody talk, everybody says when Bushnell starts talking, he always talks about the old days. Hey, I like the history. Kansas City has so much history. Right? I just learned, uh, I just talked to someone at our at East Patrol, and we were talking about uh, a guy that was a Navy fighter pilot that got shot down, and he lives right here in the Northeast area. Exactly. We'll so, Royster. I mean, like, all these... Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he he has a, he, another distinction that Will has is when he when he got shot down, he was uh, a Navy pilot, Lieutenant Commander Will Royster. They were on maneuvers in the Pacific with the Japanese Navy. Yes. And Will was towing a drone. Sadly, the Japanese Navy didn't shoot the drone down. They shot Will down. And he has the distinction of being the last pilot to be shot down by the Japanese Navy. After World War II. Interesting. And see, <laughs> and he lives right here yes. in Northeast. Yep. And I think he was a pilot after that. And the house that they live in, mm-hmm. that's the only house in that area, right, where they've the family has lived there the whole time. And it's Bingo. over 100 years. Ding, 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 ding. Northeast. Eight, 1897, <laughs> it was built for the Skerritt family. And Will is a descendant of the Skerritt family. Only house in Kansas City that remains in the same family for 125 years. That's awesome. See, that's cool. There you Kansas go. City's cool, right? We we just gotta let everybody else know about it. Exactly. And after the and after he got, oh my God, it was, you know, he was he was hospitalized for a long time, but every day his mom lived there, and uh, every day after that, a black limousine would pull up in the front, and a dignitary from the the government of Japan would bring something to the house, whether it was flowers or something. They made darn sure that Will's mom was taken care of. I didn't know that. That's so awesome. It was just kind of interesting, these little old Japanese men going up to the door. And they'd, like I said, they'd have a bouquet of flowers or they'd have a box with a bow on or something. It was daily for about a month. That's nice. Like, wow. Yeah, that's, so, I, I appreciate that persistent respect, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, apology, whatever you want to say that. That's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Well, we just, we just shot your ass out of the sky. So, hi, we're here. <laughs> and nobody least, came out. Hey, you know what? Sometimes it's just showing up, right? Right. Exactly. So let's talk about showing up. Let's go. See how I looped that back? Look at me. Mr. Radio. Anyway, <laughs> talking about the old days and, and community officers, I know that there's a brand new division that's under under the command of Major Thompson, mm-hmm. Community Engagement. Community Engagement Division. And those they've got CAN officers. Can we expect to see or a return to the can officers or can centers of the old days, say back in the mid-90s, back when two guys, no calls for service, let's go out and do a knock and talk, let's go out and talk to this house. What What is that going to look like? So the only uh, thing slowing that down is manpower. I can tell you, you know, we have um, 
we have some staffing issues as as well as a lot of police departments nationwide. Um, but to answer your question, we have some of our council persons that are working on trying to get some like brick and mortar type places like we used to have in the old days <laughs> Look uh, at you. where the officers would respond. We'd have community meetings there. Uh, when I was a young officer at East Patrol, I remember there was a can center at maybe 3,600 block of uh, Indiana. In East can. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There. I remember going there and I remember, you know, the officers there, they knew everybody in the community and everybody in the community knew them. And we were just we were just a part of it. So we're working that way. Um, I don't know if you know who one of our can officers is here at, at East Patrol. Well, that's going to be... Daniel. Yes. <laughs> Hernandez Wynn? Dan, yes. Oh, have you... Do you know his story? Uh, he grew up... He's a Holy Cross kid. Yes. Grew uh, up in Northeast. Mm-hmm. And I, we, did a, we did a sit down with him last May. Oh, good. I was going to suggest that. Then, I should have known. You're already all over it. All over it. And I actually talked to him at the East Patrol event, the holiday event. He he handled, uh, he there was an aggravated assault at one of our businesses on the avenue. And apparently a report wasn't taken that day. So he came out and personally handled that for that, for that individual and for that business. Perfect. And so, yeah, he's in my speed dial. Good. So, and that's what I love to see. I love to see Kansas City kids. Coming back, serving their community, whether whether it be the police department, um, city services, driving a snowplow, hey, just being part of the good that that's going mm-hmm. on in Kansas City. And um, I mean, I I see that in myself. I I grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, but I was born here on the Missouri side. I went to college over here, but um, I love to see Kansas City homegrown kids. And of course, we'll take anybody from anywhere, but right. <laughs> um, you know, because we love people from um, all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences because that's what makes you a good police officer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing like somebody from Kansas city growing up here, having some kind of an experience, especially somebody right here in the Northeast. And he, when we talked, it was really cool. And, and the only other interview that I've done like that was Chato oh, from Westside can. And I actually, we got some good folks, don't we? Man, we got I'm some you. good people. Chato made me cry in the interview because just listening to his story, yep coming up in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and then going back, you know, and he, he could have made a choice and gone, you know, gone the other direction and he didn't. And now he's back serving the community he grew up. Oh, in. he's, and, and he's, like, he does a fine job. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. He's awesome. So it, as part of that community policing, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going with the horses. So we're going to see a return to the horses. Okay. I got that question asked yesterday. Um, I I had nothing to do with that. I'm on day six, so maybe day eight I might have an answer for. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, that's something that's been mentioned. You're the second person that's mentioned that in 24 hours. Um, I think right now, just because we're so low on band power, that's not necessarily an option right now. But once we get up to speed, I don't see why we wouldn't. I mean, at least consider it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of big events coming up, and... Having the mounted patrol was wonderful for parades, um, safe crowd control, um, and just really, I, I think they're just beautiful to see. There's just something majestic about seeing a police officer on a horse. I don't know what it is. Well, and, and just the intel and the community interaction, mm-hmm. because who, come on, what kid doesn't like horses? Oh, well, yeah, and what, ki- what kids don't like dogs, but unfortunately our dogs aren't the... Uh, well. You know, so a horse is better in, right. in that situation. <laughs> exactly. So 
I want to get a little bit deeper. Let, let's talk about the murder rate. Okay. Um, 168, excuse me, 168, at least as of 8 o'clock this morning. Right. Um, I think that's second place for the top. I think it was mm-hmm. 2019 or 2020. How do you get, well, first off, first question, how do you get past that snitches get stitches mentality in the community? Well, I'm not going to be a cooperative witness. Because that, that affects the closing rate of homicides. And then what's Omaha doing right? Because they're at 29 and mm-hmm. we're at 168. What lessons can we learn from Omaha? Okay, so your first question you talked about. Um, How do we get past the mentality? Right. So you talked about the snitches get stitches. Okay, right now we have at least two programs that I'm aware of, and maybe even more, where we have the uh, – it's – PPVVC funds, and don't ask me to, to tell you exactly what that is, but that's some funds that are provided to law enforcement here in the state of Missouri to aid in witnesses and victims for all kinds of different services, from like uh, rekeying your house to relocation services. Um, so the snitches get stitches. We got help for people who are witnesses or victims of crime. I think sometimes that cooperation ends up being somewhat of a deterrent because maybe they're they're scared that maybe mm-hmm. that person might see them on the street, know who, who said what. Uh, so we have those services offered. Just here recently, our city council passed a same uh, type of ordinance. I'm not saying same type of, but it was it, it, it's the same type of funding. They passed $250,000 for some of our social service agencies here in Kansas City to assist in that very thing assisting witnesses in relocation services or other types of things. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned King a house, King a locks because we had um, one of our social services um, people helped a family. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a violent crime. And the woman, I think lived there by herself. She was worried about, you know, the perpetrator coming back. Right. And these funds helped pay to rekey her whole house. And we had it installed. You know, these are the kind of things that, that where we're reaching out to help victims, one, to help people feel safer in Kansas City, but also to help with cooperation also. We want to make sure that we get people, um, um, you know, to, to feel safe and to feel safe cooperating. And, I mean, obviously we need some of those with some of these investigations. If you don't have a cooperative victim, then, you know, then, then that dangerous person uh, gets to continue that that dangerous behavior without right. any kind of a check. And that directly impacts quality of life in neighborhoods. 100%. Um, from people, I'm not going outside because I know so-and-so and such-and-such is still out on the loose, and mm-hmm. he hates my cousin because of this. So you change you change the whole mindset in a neighborhood if that goes unchecked. Right. So, and then I guess the follow-up to that is Omaha at 29, and yeah. we're roughly the same population. Um what what lessons can we take from Omaha, if any, moving forward in order to correct that or reverse that? Well, with the team that came in from Omaha 360, which has resulted in a Kansas City 360, uh, we are implementing that model. But it has to be specific to Kansas City. You know, it, when you look at, if you look at East Patrol compared to Central Patrol, if you even can compare the division, patrol division stations, 
Each one of our patrol division stations are unique. Unique dem- demographics. Mm-hmm. You've got unique terrain, um, businesses, residences. Like each one of our patrol divisions is is, is uh, unique. And I say that because Omaha and Kansas City have our unique differences also. Right. So the model of Omaha 360 has worked fabulously up there, and we are hoping to to mirror that model here in Kansas City. Uh, that 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 fits our area, I guess you'd say. Um, when you talk about the success, I know that that they've had great success in Omaha, but that did take years, and it did take a lot of community buy-in. Right. Um, you know, that was community, businesses, um, city services, uh, police. That is that is part of uh, the look that I want for for a violent crime strategy that I'd like to initiate here in Kansas City. It's a citywide holistic approach to have kinds everyone involved right. in curbing violent crime. I mean, there's a lot of detail to that, and I can get into that if, if you'd like to, but um, I'm hoping that if, if anybody has an idea about violent crime, we're here to listen because I don't think anybody's figured it out yet. If somebody has, they need to write a book, put it online, and, and sell it, and let's all <laughs> implement it because we all want our communities to be safe. Okay, everybody in this room, we're all going to be millionaires. Yes. <laughs> I'll give that away for free. Right. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's such an impactful uh, outcome that, well, it just needs to happen. It does. And talking about that, let's, let's talk about the relationship that you currently have or that the department is coming from uh, w- with the prosecutor's office. And I'm not going to get into the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows where I'm at on that, and we don't need to go into that. But... What do you do moving forward in order to ensure that that criminals are going to get prosecuted properly and fully, uh, and that because that has a direct impact on quality of life in neighborhoods as well? Sure. Here in Kansas City, I think we're a little bit unique too, and maybe we're not. Maybe I haven't necessarily compared that, but we have four counties uh, that Kansas City encompasses or or touches in, um, and I'm meeting with the prosecutors. I've, I mean, I've already talked to Jackson County. I talked to Clay County this week. Platte County and Cass are on, are they on the schedule yet? Okay. Got a nod over there. Yeah, we're on the <laughs> schedule. Um, so really just having those conversations, how can we work better together? What are you not getting from us? What could we do better? Um, and having that same conversation uh, coming back to us. What I'm going to do, and it'll probably be decided next week, I will have a major I will have a commander on the police department that is a prosecutorial, that's a word. That is. Uh, Good. Liaison. And that person will be that that one contact person that could help either um, in communication, provide whatever uh, requested documents that that they need, getting a hold of officers to ensure that they're in court to testify, um, just, just all the things that, that that relationship brings and the needs that we both have from each other. But at the same time, I know that our detectives have these conversations one-on-one with, with prosecutors, but, but also our, that commander could carry that message of what's important to KCPD on, on specific crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say we're having um, a lot of overdose deaths of fentanyl. We, 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 we identify who's doing that. Or we have someone who's terrorizing a neighborhood. And, you know, like, let's talk about property crimes. DeAndre Buchanan, 2019. (laughs) There we go. 
Uh, let's talk about property crime. So, you know, sometimes people aren't, I think everybody's directly, directly um, affected by violent crime, but some people may think that they're not, but a lot of people are directly affected by property crimes or mm-hmm. volume crimes. You know, that's, that's car getting broken into your house, burglarized, which is a personal crime, if you ask me. Um, but, you know, sometimes you'll have a very small number of people creating all of this victimization and all of this crime to, to so many. And it's just like a, a couple people. And, you know, sometimes those property crimes don't carry a lot of, of um, keep them in jail weight. I don't know but better word to say than that, uh, keep them in jail weight. So I think it's incumbent upon us that if we know of someone who's out there actively involved in criminal activity, victimizing people in neighborhoods, um, we need to make sure that we convey that to the prosecutor's office, our concern for this person to continue in the community victimizing people. So that's part of that communication that, that I know is already happening, but maybe make that a little bit more intentional and, and for the prosecutors to have a person to go to and maybe alert me um, if there's some things that, that I need to, to keep an eye on. In terms of keeping that person in jail or keeping that person in jail up and making sure he gets the time he deserves or whatever. Yes, but also relationships to ensure that, that the relationship between the police department and the prosecutor's office is what it should be, mm-hmm. that it's professional, that it's um, that that we have conversations, that, that we're able to have tough conversations, that uh, an open dialogue. Right. If there's a problem, let's talk about it. And I know that we're going to dis... There's a lot of people in Kansas City we're going to disagree with, right? And people are going to disagree with us. But as long as we can come to the table and have these conversations and be respectful and hear each other, I might be able to hear you. I may not agree with you, but... There's no reason why we still can't walk away from the table and with still having respect for each other and, and maintaining a professional relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, that, 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 that's what we'll have. And, and I appreciate that because so many times it doesn't happen. And, well, you're talk about politics. You're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. So it's, it falls apart before it even gets to the table. Right. I, I'll, I'll talk about it all day long. Mm-hmm. Let, let's just have the conversation because we're going to have we're going to agree on points. We're going to disagree on points. And what comes out of that conversation, that that's the, the outcome, I think, is what's important. Yeah. And I think, you know, the only place you shouldn't have those conversations is probably on Thanksgiving with your family before <laughs> you eat. Maybe after you <laughs> eat, but yes. you don't want to get mad before you eat and then you got to leave. So, uh. It's wine. It's over here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. You got to, uh, after dessert. Yeah. And uh, after your uncle snoring on the couch watching mm-hmm. football. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shemekas Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shemekasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974. Armor Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. So, uh... Let's talk about department funding. Do you want to talk about local control? Um, we have local control. We are uh, governed by a board of police commissioners. They are all Kansas City residents, and the mayor sits on the board. And I got to tell you, um, I have had a great relationship with the mayor. He's been super helpful. He's been super supportive of, of my position. Um, I got his, I mean, he, 
I got his vote. There you uh, it, go. Was, it was five and zero, oh, and and I can't tell you how how um, how thankful I am for for that relationship that we have and how supportive he is. He's been great. That's good to hear. So the, let's talk about funding as moving forward. You know, what kind of relationship is that going to look like with the city in terms of? Because I know that there's they're still fighting down at Jefferson City about that yeah. twenty to twenty five percent. Yeah, and I'm probably just because of the the state that that's in. I'll just leave that to the experts to figure that out. But when you talk about local control, I can tell you that, you know, I think part of the feel is that we haven't been involved over across the street, let's call it, Mm -hmm. uh, at City Hall. And we will be over there. We will be over there more often. We uh, we will be involved um, with scheduled meetings, regularly scheduled meetings, with the city manager, with with just just bringing in the city council into our patrol division stations. If they want to come, they they have. They've been super excited. Uh, Raina Park Shaw rode up in one of our ele- uh, elevators, a helicopter uh, last year, and had a great time. And so we we want to continue to um, extend that to the city council members and invite them in to learn about some of the things that we do as we show up at city hall and learn about some of those processes. You know, we, we just need to be across the street and, and, and being a part of a lot of the, the city process where, where local control isn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I foresee that if we're there more often, if we're having more conversations, if we're, we're um, interacting more and, and becoming more involved in collaborative projects, I don't know that local control will be that much of a conversation. I'm optimistic. So going back to, I want to, I want to hit. So maybe we can make things better to where there isn't such an, an outcry from uh, like people that are calling for local control that we can be seen as more locally controlled or, or part of the community. Right. I think that's, I think that's how you break down that wall Mm -hmm. is, is getting guys out of the, getting officers out of the cars. And that was one of my favorite things about Ken is, you know, I'm walking down the street. Well, there's Kevin Hewlin or there's Brian Carmen or whoever. Oh, Brian Carmen. <laughs> I haven't heard his name in a long time. We're I remember him coming into East Patrol and he had, uh, he had mud all on his pants and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, what did you get into? He goes, I always picked the big guy to pick on and want to fight. They always want to fight the big guy. And I don't remember who he's riding with. It was, it was a smaller in stature person. And he was like, wait. Who would you pick on, me or him? <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> Brian, Brian and I did surveillance at Robertson Bales back when we had Northeast Mobile Crime Watch and the CAN unit. We'd always work together, and it was either Brian or Kevin Hewlin uh, was part of that team back then, too. And there's a whole lot of guys that rotated through there, but Brian's a good friend of mine. We'd, oh, we good. still talk a lot. Kevin Hewlin and I, too. Zef Bingham. That's it. Mm-hmm. That that was he was one of our first can officers okay. over here at East, and then it, and then Dave DeLamar. Oh uh, yes! Oh wow! You're bringing out the names. <laughs> See, good thing I've been around for a minute. Um, Kevin Richardson. Oh I, yeah. Is is he still around? Is he? Last I, I heard, he, he was is. in property crimes. I think he, he's in traffic. And then of course Jason and Greg and oh all, yeah, all them guys. Anyway, back back. So, so uh, uh, just a little bit on that. A part of the community, too, is not just adults. <laughs> we really need to get in and have conversations with our youth. You know, our youth often see things on social media or on the 
on TV, media, you, whatever videos or, or whatever that they're watching. And, and, and I, I got to say, unfortunately, a lot of times police are not portrayed in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So listening to youth and what they think about police and uh, allowing open dialogue, those kind of conversations and not being um, on the defense when some s- tough subjects may be brought up. But there's nobody that can cut you down like a teenager, okay? As a, as a, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. uh, Anybody who's had teenagers, who's raised teenagers know that, um, yeah, they don't, they don't pull any punches. So I actually welcome those conversations from, from teens to really see how they feel because I think that's going to, you know, that's, I mean, I don't mean to be corny and sing like the Whitney Houston song, the children are our future which I'm a huge Whitney Houston fan, but anyway, um, it's, I just, I can't stress enough how important it is to have these conversations with youth. That way, when you're in a, you're going to, you're in a car and you get pulled over, um, when that young person starts driving, they'll know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. They'll know that it doesn't have to be, um, a contentious contact. And, um, sometimes, you know, especially in the past three years, because of how police have been portrayed, a lot of our stops and contacts were before they weren't um, confrontational. Now we're faced with a lot more noncompliance mm-hmm. and defensiveness, even on on the most routine traffic stop. So I think I think we need to to educate our our kiddos on police, but we also need to be educated on on what they think and what they see, and how we can come together and. So how does that, and, and I know that schools have SROs, is that, should there, is that, should that be the job of an SRO or are their hands full in the classroom or how does, how does something that like that get implemented, say at, at Northeast Middle or Northeast Junior? And I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. How does that get implemented in that environment? Because that's going to lead to my next question. Well, I think our SROs do that and I think they do a good job, but they're not in every high school. They're not in. They're not in every school, unfortunately. Um, so I think it's also finding the right youth to come to the table. You know, and and when I say the right youth, that doesn't really sound. That's, I don't think that's really what I was trying to convey. But um, I'm not talking about like kids who grow up in in great neighborhoods and always have dinner on the table at night. I'm talking about youth who who are in neighborhoods who are exposed to trauma, who them well, or their families. Northeast. I mean, it's Northeast. Yes. It's where the, them or their families may have been victims of or witnesses mm-hmm. of violent crime. Those are the conversations that, that we need to have with, with, with kiddos like that. And, you know, I think we could get a good insight of some of the core issues of violent crime at the same time. You know, I, I, sometimes, you know, there's generational violence. Um, you know, we have areas in our city where you can look 20 years ago Someone said at a meeting we were at last week that there there was some kind of um, area in the city where they've had 24 homicides within this two-block radius over the past 20 years. Can you, I, I can't imagine that, that, that someone, who, and you know, we have a lot of people who've lived in, in these homes, you know, not, maybe not 120 years like we were talking about right. the other family, yeah. but um, that have lived in these homes and passed these homes down. It's just We've got to be a violence interrupter. We've got to get in there and figure out what we can do to um, either get 
you know, a family that's experienced trauma or generations of violence, some kind of uh, either trauma-informed care or resources. Maybe it's it's basic needs. Mm-hmm. Um, just get in there and, and figure it out and try to, to help out with the core. Because a lot of times in my wife, the retired debate coach, and she's a big one for this, and trust me, I learn. But she says a lot of times those those middle school and high school brains, the and especially the male brain, the, it's not mature until you're 25 or 30 years old. So you know you've got 13, 14, 15 year olds acting out in anger, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just lash out, and it's not it's not even personal. It's it's just I'm going to be angry at you, and that anger grows, and then you've got issues after that. And then if you got a gun, well, exactly. And then some you know sometimes you just lose your cool. You have a lack of conflict resolution skills, or um, or self- the gun is your conflict resolution. Yes, skill. or that- even self regulating. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, as I've gotten older, there's some things where I'm just a lot more calmer about that. I don't, you know, act out of um, anger or emotion. Um, but but if you if you want to talk about like actionable items with youth, is the same idea is what I have with the community is having some of those town hall type, you can call them listening sessions. You can call them town hall. Um, I think obviously there should probably be some kind of a moderator and a little bit of a, of a agenda to it. And when I say agenda, like, okay, we're going to introduce everybody, not like a, a back, uh, right, like a, not, exactly. like a, not like yeah. a, an intention, but um, so I could, I would foresee that with our youth too. And those are going to be some of the interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, We've been around for a little bit. Right. So, you know, there's there's some things that problems that persist with adults and the community and police. So some of that might be a bit predictable of a conversation, but you never know what you're going to hear from youth. And mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, from kids, some some of the things they say, <laughs> As- uh, it's it's funny, but it's also very insightful. Oh, yeah. And they're so honest. So I'm actually excited to have some of those conversations with our youth. I, I really want to know what they think about police and, and where we can go from there. Well, and then how does – I was going to capitalize, but I'm going to go over here because I substitute taught kindergarten one time when I was in college. One time. One. And, oh, I, oh, I learned new words. I As the college kid, the fraternity president, I learned new words. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so how does that the, – the relationship with youth – how, let's talk about how we link that with recruitment and, right. and fill in some of those right. holes that, that need to be filled at, at the patrol zone. I'm actually glad you brought that up because when you were talking about schools too, there's no reason why we can't be in the schools talking to kids and also recruiting them for jobs for when they get out of high school. If we have some kiddos that college isn't for everybody, right? Exactly. It's really not. Mm-hmm. And you can still be super successful. Moms, cover your ears. Uh, you could be super <laughs> successful uh, if you don't go to college. That's not a college is not an end all be all. You can still be a successful, um, productive person in your community, right? Big believer in the trades, right here. Totally, yes. And we need people in the trades. Mm-hmm. We need people in the trades because they're they're the ones because they're the smart ones. Off page here, they're the smart ones because those journeyman plumbers, the apprentice plumbers, are are grabbing forty an hour. Yeah, and I'm I'm paying forty an hour to go to college, and I got to pay that back. They don't. Yeah, and guess what? 
Everybody needs a plumber. Oh, uh, well, yeah, one just left my other building. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Everybody needs a plumber. Everybody needs uh, someone to drive trucks, to ship goods. I mean, like everything. So um, that being said, we also need police. But you, we can bring youth in at 18 years old. We can, they can be detention officers. We just, This past year, we lowered the age from 19 to 18. Um, I don't remember how old you got to be to be a PCO, but there's a lot of jobs that we have where you can come in at 18 years old and as soon as you turn if you can start the academy when you're 20 as long as you graduate as long as you're 21 by the time you graduate okay so we can get you in hey we can get that pension started we've got benefits you'll have insurance and you also have a blue family right that is beyond words mm-hmm. it's it's and and you only see when, when you're actually in the when you're actually in the in our family. So, you know, we, we really rely on our professional staff. And our professional staff are those that are non-sworn. So you can always start as a as a non-sworn part of our professional staff. And if you so choose, you can become a police officer. If not, I mean we have other op- we have all kinds of opportunities. And Somebody, not just KCPD, but the but Kansas City, Missouri. I don't mean to send employees over there, but they're short too. And they do important work. Mm-hmm. They got to keep the city going. So, so they have some staffing shortages too. So I think you can start out at 18 years old also. Hear Lots that? of opportunities all, in Kansas City. Lots. All, all you ad buyers. Where are we at? This is Northeast News, isn't it? Am I right? Okay, <laughs> sorry. But, and I think there's somebody in this room that actually started as a civilian. Oh, and, that's, yeah. And Who is that? I, and I'm not going to, well, I'll ask you, how old were you when you started? Oh gosh, how old was I? I started in '97, and I'm 48 now. So it was April of '97. How old was I? Now I got to do math. Okay, so I'm so I'm 48. Okay. I'm the 48th police chief. What? And we are 148 years old. Oh, it's kismet. It was meant to be. It's the numbers, buddy. There we go. Um, But yeah, I started as a civilian in the records unit. It was my senior semester at UMKC. Okay, so I had 17 hours. I don't know how I did it, but I started a full time <laughs> job, and uh, and when I came on, I didn't always want to be a police officer. I did an internship at probation parole, and I I learned, but I I that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be out. Mm-hmm. There's something about being outside. I didn't want to be in an office or anything like that. So um, yeah, so I heard uh, officers. On the phone, I worked warrant services, so I would hear officers that would call me with their arrest, and sometimes there would be somebody screaming, laughing, uh, all kinds of noise in the background, and it was it just sounded like so much fun. And um, yeah, one of the one of the sergeants that she would call with someone while she was on break in, and I would ask her about the job, and she told me, and we would laugh. And she didn't know until recently that she just retired that she actually inspired me to be a police officer. Really? Yep. Then that was the sergeant you were doing your ride-alongs with? No, she was, I was at warrant services answering the phone when officers had, oh, know, okay, like uh, warrants. Right. Because I would send them up the chute up to when we had detention up on the eighth floor. Mm-hmm. And she would call and we would laugh on the phone and I would ask her questions. And that's what inspired me to be a police officer. Because it was, it sounded like why you see tragic things. It's rewarding, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like. Her and her partner would be in a in in a car, and they would just be laughing and just I don't know, it just sounded fun. It was just like hanging out with your friend all night. I don't know. <laughs> and here you are, twenty five years later. Yes, here I am. 
And what was your first assignment coming out of the academy? Central Patrol Division. I had break-in at Central Patrol Division, and um, after that, we had a, a larger we had larger classes in. So after that, um, after my break-in period, they sent me right here to Eastown PMs. See, there you go. And I was hooked. <laughs> loved it. I worked thirty sector, uh, and I just loved it. And you know, I broke in it on days out there because they were short FTOs because you know we we had you know larger classes back then, and I remember. Uh, coming here to E-Zone, and I remember the radio just beep, 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 and just, I was just hooked. Loved it. Was that, was Barry the major then, or was that? He was. What, Barry Mr. Mayor. Mr. Yes. Pin, Dennis uh, Carroll and I, Mr. Pinn. I think Pinn Corwin now. was. Oh, uh, Jim? I think Corwin was. Okay. And then it was Barry. Yeah, but yeah. Corwin less soon thereafter, but I remember him coming down to roll call, and then it was Barry. Barry. I remember Barry calling me into his office. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what do you want? I'm just a little baby officer. What do you want? <laughs> he was always so nice. Like, he really valued what, like, uh, the officers had to to contribute to conversations. So he did the sectors as teams. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did. He, yeah. So I, I appreciate that he called me in to ask me my opinion on something. I don't remember, even remember what it was. Having trouble over here with these guys. Da, 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 yeah, da, what do you think? I was pretty active. And did he have the pin map on, on the wall he behind? He did. Yeah. <laughs> he Dennis did. Carroll and I, would have, whenever we'd, we'd have a problem over here, over here with Mobile Crime Watch, we'd always go down and talk to Barry. And, well, we're having problems with stolen autos over here. And those were the red pins and, like, mm-hmm. yellow pins were something different. Yeah, he was on so. top of it. Oh, yeah. Barry Mary was on top of it. He, he owes me lunch. I hope he hears this. He owes me lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyway, did you want to talk a little bit more about how does that – fit what we were talking about before the schools and getting those youth and how do how do we fit that into recruitment oh just hopefully with some of those interactions i hope someone will see like hey maybe see themselves in us i think that's what's beneficial to uh being a female chief you know some people say if you can see it you you believe it and you can you can see yourself so i'm hoping that you know with with that and also having one-on-one conversations with officers that that could help in recruiting people could could really see the 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 honor in this job if you want to call it a job we don't really call it a job um that I'm, I'm hoping that will just organically happen um obviously there's going to be some intentional uh meetings about it and recruiting kids and just bringing them on, you know, even in our professional staff or non-sworn positions and hope that they grow into uh, becoming a police officer. It's, it's, a lot of people don't know this. I, you know, I wear the blue band because I had family. Jay Thompson, bomb and arson yes. is, is my brother-in-law. Oh, um, the honoriness. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you get that. But He's and, awesome. But I had other family. My dad was a police judge at Lake Wacomas and, yeah, this 1968. I've still got his badge for crying out loud. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. But so I mean, this is, and I took the I took the highway patrol test when I was a kid, and I got to the physical part. My eyes, I failed it because of my eyes. So I came to PD, and I took that test, that four hour test that they were given at Penn Valley back uh-huh. in the day. And didn't make it past that. So I I don't know why. I it's I not too late. We're hiring. <laughs> yeah, but you got a ceiling. You got an aid ceiling, I think, don't you? Sixty-five. What? Yeah. 
Ah, we're done here. <laughs> Let's go. You know, when I was in. You get two good years out of me anyway. I'll take those two years. <laughs> Look, I'll take those two years. I had a guy in my academy class who was 57. He started Seriously? when he was 57. Yes. He had uh, retired from Gillette. I don't remember what. I don't know if that was up in Michigan or what. But he had always wanted to be a police officer. And um, and we we joked with him, you know, because he, he, he would joke about. Being the old guy. Being the older guy uh, in the academy. We really respected him. Uh, For one reason, he could run faster than some of us. (laughs) I don't think it was me, but it was others. (laughs) I'm looking down. Uh, But he could run faster than some of the guys. Yeah. He was in shape. He was fun. And, you know, uh, his approach was calm. And I think, you know... His his demeanor was diffusing, and I think we learned from that from him too. So I think everybody has something to offer. Because a lot of the young guys are out there, and they're full of this and that and the other thing. And I'm gonna and Mr. Fifty Seven Year Old has seen you know eighty yeah. percent of what you're gonna see. He's more patient. Uh, now he's gonna trip over the. Okay, now we're good. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He was always so calm, and, and I he, think I think people seeing him come on the scene too is a little bit diffusing. When you had a, there was another guy just recently. Uh, and he worked in East. I think maybe it may have been the same guy, bigger guy, bald head. Oh, you're describing like a certain like a significant percent. <laughs> Some of those guys that are kind of like real tough have such a chill demeanor. Yeah. And I, I can't remember this guy's name, but I remember reading about him. So, oh, there's hope for me yet. Do I have to take the written test again? Because I probably flunked it. It's, it's, it's got to be easier than a four-hour <laughs> test back in the day. Anything that you'd like to share that maybe we haven't covered that that you'd like our listeners to know our readers. I want everyone to know that the members of the Kansas city, Missouri police department are really truly invested in the community, the betterment, the success and the safety of Kansas city. I can't stress that enough. Um, And when we have these, town halls or these listening sessions, I invite people to come. Let us hear what you have to say. Um, We're going to start by listening and just have these genuine, open dialogues. We have got to get past this adversary relationship. We've got to break down that wall. We will be here extending our hand out to try to, to start that. We've got to start a positive policing movement, get, get past all of these things that are dividing us. The only way that we're going to be a safer, um, unified city is if we break down these walls and just start talking to each other. That's just where it starts. And the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department is going to show you that that's where we're at. That's all we can ask. That's all we can Hey. Just got it. It just takes somebody to come forward, and 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 someone to accept it. Thank I appreciate you very, that. Very much. Thank you for being a community partner, a supporter of police, knowing where our hearts are, and really getting to know us as people with names. So thank you for that. And donuts. And donuts. <laughs> <laughs>